deals. And Bonds hit from high. It's a game. It is out of here. 3-2 to Mookie Wilson. Little roller up along first. Behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight and the Mets win it. Halliday is one strike away. The 0-2. A bouncer. Ruiz. In time. Roy Halliday has thrown a no-hitter. Steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing it a long drive. Deep left field. Going, going. Dean one on the line. That would be a line for a base hit. Here comes Joy. Here is Junior to third base. They're going to wave him in. The throw to the plate will be late. The Here's the pitch on the way. A swing and a belt. Left field. Way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are World Series champions. Hello and welcome to the show, Baseball Podcast, episode, what is it now, 31. It is your host, Ry Ry Jones, as always, joined once again by Chris, a.k.a. Schwebzy. Hi, friends. Getting ready to kick off another week of baseball here. Uh, it is... Already October 9th, and we're already through getting ready for the championship series to start. Baseball is winding down. And that means two more teams have been eliminated, which means two more teams to talk about on the moratorium. I think first we need to go to the team that lost in the AL wild card, the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I enjoy doing these moratoriums. It gives me like this nice sense of schadenfreude at watching other teams fail after watching the Mets fail for every yeah. time. It, it's it's always interesting because you look at these, these organizations and a lot of them have the same problems at the same levels too. It's 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 fascinating. But I, I, I do say one thing for Oakland is they are the model of consistency with Moneyball is they, they always seem to be in it on some level. It was it was kind of poetic how the Rays wound up against the A's in the in the wild card game because they're it's it's stunning how they just maintained levels of success with no money mm-hmm. and just through sheer talent and uh, scouting and just being ahead of the curve. Yeah, absolutely. It, but with Oakland having having money a little bit of money this year to spend. A lot of people still under team control, a lot of people in early arbitration. This is kind of like one of the one year when they can go out there and, and maybe get some veterans to come to Oakland and take some short deals and really actually build this team out to open up a window while they do have guys like Matt Chapman and uh, Olsen. Yeah, so just let me let me go through this list for one second. Here are the players that just it, this past year made less than $600,000. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, uh, Daniel Gossett, Frankie Montes, who had a crazy breakout, Ramon Laureano, Lou Trevino, who is kind of hit or miss, but when he's on, he's one of the best relievers in baseball. Uh, Barreto, who's got a load of potential. They've got all these guys making no money, and that doesn't even get to the guys who are going to be on the team next year. Your, your Puck, your Lazardos, your Murphys, who are just entering their team control. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, 
it's definitely gonna be interesting to see what they do. Obviously, with Lazardo, Lazardo and Puck, they can be in the rotation next year. They can be kind of this next generation of A's, A's starting pitching rotation. But with them having luck of turning mediocre pitchers into productive major leaguers, I'm almost thinking they might move one of the other of Lazardo and Puck to try and get somebody in another position to upgrade somewhere. But again, it's very hard because they did have pretty good major leaguers at I think every position this year. Yeah, uh, we were going through their lineup earlier, and where do you upgrade? Going around the diamond, they've got they've got Murphy and Fegley at catcher. They've got Olsen. They've got Barreto. They've got Semyon Chapman. Uh, and then in the outfield, you've got uh, well, Crush Davis is the DH. But uh, in the outfield, you've got Canha, Loriano, and Piscotti. Who and Piscotti seems like the clear place to upgrade. But he makes so much money, and he's under like, contract for like what three, four, more, three, four years. more years? Yeah, four. I, I think the fourth fourth year's club option for fifteen million dollars. You, you, you think the A's are going to pick that one up? Remember when he signed that extension with the Cardinals, and they thought they were getting a discount? Oof. Oh, oh yeah, not great. But it's just when when a lot of the guys that we just mentioned are making like less than a million bucks, it. it They've got so much room for opportunity right now. Yeah, I, absolutely. So we met one of the the other team that we're going to talk about today is the Minnesota Twins. I wonder if the A's can do something similar to this past offseason's Twins game plan and kind of throw some money at some short-term deals to plug some holes and make a run for it because they are so strong all around. A couple of pieces yeah. might be the difference between, say, 90 wins, 95 wins. I could and I could see with with information coming out that it looks like the the A's are going to non tender Blake Trinan. I could see them trying to find that gap is in filling the bullpen out, and that yeah. be the one thing they try and strengthen for next year. It's really interesting how they're so good at turning mediocre arms into decent major league starters, and yet they can't seem to put together like a good bullpen for a full yeah. year. It's um, like, yeah, it's we crazy. Saw Trinan, we saw Trinan last year. Trinan was a world beater last year. Uh, he was a pitching ninja mainstay. His his uh, sinker just moved ridiculously he, at 98 miles an hour. He was featured so much by pitching ninja, they gave him a nickname, the witch. The witch. Didn't he not like that? Mm-mm. Hated it. Um, here's here's my bold off season prediction: the A's are going to have a reunion with one of their ex players to fill in their bullpen, who's a veteran. Sean Doolittle is going to go back to Oakland. Ooh, I can. I that's can that's my bold prediction. Do you think? Uh, wait, so would that have to be a trade or a signing? Is Doolittle a free agent? He. It is a team option, but it's for thirteen million dollars. I and can't imagine. I definitely have a feeling the Nats are not going to pick that up. Yeah, it doesn't seem likely. Not when they have to play the Mets uh, eighteen times a year. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Do little script tonight, right there. Got it in. You got it in. Uh, yeah, it, it it's it's like when I was looking at Oakland, I was like, what else can we say? Then this is the team that kind of the, the literally invented Moneyball. They're gonna be in it mm-hmm. in some level every single year. It's just a matter of what they do. But Billy Bean always has something up his sleeve, and I just can't wait to see what he what he what he does have up his sleeve. Yeah. So, do you think what what do you think the Oakland A's rotation looks like next year? 
I I think we, you I think you have to start with Lazardo and Puck. Yeah, uh, we know we know Fires is going to be there. Yeah, I I if you have to re-sign one of the three starting pitchers you got this year, I think you might go Roark over Anderson and Homer. Just because yeah, uh, he's had a little bit more consistency in his career as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we we know Montes is in there too, probably right. And then probably Man- Montes, and that's four. And then Manea, maybe, maybe he, be, maybe Manea moves to the bullpen with the health problems. I don't know. You know, it's the periphery of their roster, which is normally guys like you know the twentieth through twenty fifth guys on a roster are usually like kind of iffy, but. Like the tail end of the A's roster is still talented guys that you can, yeah. you know, if you squint, you can see a good season coming out of them. Yeah, and and that's the thing I think people actually to get in a little bit deeper conversation, people misconstrue about Moneyball is it's not, you know, trying to get the value of these guys under value. It's that you have every single player one through twenty five that can compete and give you war, so that you know you have a guy on. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good example. Um, Barreto and Profar, who split time at second base. Between them, based off their splits and their platoons, you got, I think, 4.3 war between both of them. Something like that at the position. That's really what Moneyball is about. And Oakland does it better than anybody. They have a 1 through 25 where all of those guys can give you some level of war on that team. Yeah, there's just no holes on the roster. Exactly. I, I think that's something that a lot of teams don't get is that if you eke out even a little bit of value from those players that play just a little bit, that's you know that that's better than the scrub on some other team that doesn't have that same uh, same quality one through twenty five. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else on the A's? Fun fact. Oh, Kendris Morales had more pitching WAR for the Oakland A's than Fernando Rodney this year. That's incredible. It's incredible. All right, so let's move on to the uh, aforementioned twins. Who uh, met their kryptonite in the ALDS. (laughs) (laughs) Is it 13 straight games? They've dropped to the Yankees in October now, and like nine straight series. And nine, I think nine straight series. The twins are allergic to the playoffs. Yeah. It's, it defies belief. Ima- like, imagine any good team losing 16 in a row. It just doesn't happen. No. Like, you, uh, over a small enough sample size, you'll see any kind of, any number of weird results. But the, this is just, it's it's insane to watch. It's it's really, it is. Like, I'm, like, I'm like struggling to put it into context because it's just a 16-game losing streak in the playoffs. When you're in the playoffs, that means you're one of the best teams. Yeah. And more so than of... actually any other sport too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, because you're doing it you know, in baseball over a larger sample. So the cream rises. Yeah. You know, in in theory. So the twins just consistently losing in the playoffs over the course of what like it's a decade that this sixteen game losing streak has happened over? I, I think so. Uh, it's it's wild. It's, it, it goes back well, to oh nine or oh eight, I don't remember which year. And yeah, it's just one of those really weird little uh, edge cases in baseball where you, it's why I love the sport. Just weird, weird shit happens all the time. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, but they 
they went out and they did something interesting this year, which was they they went out and got a lot of veteran guys on pretty smart deals to try and build around the young core that they had. And they do kind of have another wave of talent that you and I both before when we were going over the run sheet um, kind of are not impressed at the top of. But no, Royce Lewis and uh, who, Krilloff, who was the Krilloff. Krilloff. Yeah, like both Kirilloff, of them were yeah. very, very hyped coming into this year. Very. And both of them, not much. I, I think yeah. uh, Royce Lewis had like a 650 OPS. Kirilov was maybe 100 higher, around 750. Just not super impressive for guys who were supposed to have good sticks. How, however, count, counterpoint to that is there are teams that think they, they see something in the video from the minor leagues and think they can fix them and might be willing to trade something for them to fix the the actual gaps the Twins have in, in their roster. Do you think the shine has come off of those prospects enough where they might be available for trade? I absolutely do. I think it is a definitely a Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Gio, Lido type situation here in, in Minnesota. So I don't think you trade any top 100 prospects unless it's to compete for a championship. Yeah. So you so you're saying you think the Twins are there and that they're going to be right back in the thick. I think if they year. were to, I think if they were to trade two of those guys to get a a ace type starting pitcher for a couple years that that is the missing piece there. If they can stay healthy. Health is always the uh, iffy thing, especially yeah. when you're talking about players like Buxton. Yeah. Absolutely. So it was kind of under the radar because of the rest of the things going on in Minnesota. Yeah. But this was the breakout year everyone was waiting for from Buxton. If he was healthy for the whole year, he was going to put up like a five or six war season. He had his usual amazing defense. He, the the last time I looked at this was a while ago, so this may not be true anymore, but at, at some point he was, he had the same ISO as guys like J.D. Martinez. Like, he was creaming the ball. He was leading the league in doubles until his health started failing. Is Byron Buxton's this generation's Grady Sizemore? (laughs) Grady Sizemore (laughs) put together full years, sometimes. Like like three times. But again, if you get that full year from him, that's the year you have to go all in. Yeah. And with the shine wearing off these prospects and their value probably going down if they, they have another bad year next year, it might be the time to sell off. Um, I think you brought up Greater Wall, who threw like what one hundred and two. Yeah, tops out of one hundred and two. Silly. Oh man. You and know- on top of throwing one hundred and two, in the so he was uh, he was brought up as a starter in the minors, but when he got to the majors, they they brought him up for bullpen help. Yeah. Uh, in the minors, he had roughly a three to one K to walk ratio. Yeah. Uh, when he got to the majors. It went up to to like five, and if you throw one o two and have a five k to walk, that's that's insane. That's yeah, completely. Yeah. That's, I think I want to say that's like uh, even like Cindergard territory, but that's better than Cindergard. Wow, and and he's something that can come up and and help that bullpen even more. I th- I th- I I'm I'm so leaning into you've got to trade or sign a top flight starting pitcher. You've got to get that rotation fixed. It's the weak link on this roster. What rotation? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my point. What rotation? And I think it's even worse because I think almost all of those guys are free agents. 
Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. If you look at their rotation from this year, the guys that threw the most innings for them, uh, Gibson, Odorizzi, Martin Perez, uh, Michael Pineda, everyone I just listed, free agent. They, they need starting pitching. But the problem yeah. is, is I think it's going to be the most expensive it's ever been. Everybody in the league needs it right now. I wonder how much those guys are going to go for. Yeah. Like the Gibson, the Odorizzi's, like these, both of them, uh, for, well, Martin Perez and Pineda also, all four of them are kind of rehabbed former top prospects. If, if J.A. And, Happ got like $14 million a year last year, what are these guys going to get? Yeah. We, we talked about this last week with the free agent dollars going more towards pitchers than hitters. The, we might see that with the Twins free agents. You you might see Kyle Gibson and Jake Odorizzi get a lot more money than you expect. Yeah. But my question is, yeah. we, we talk here all the time about how good the Twins organization is run lately and how their pitching development has been in the past year or so. Yeah. Are these guys going to flame out when they go elsewhere it's entirely possible um i I know a lot of guys uh you always talk about pitching coaches and mechanics and the great ones find you know little things in between starts to help them improve over a season and career when they don't have that they can kind of lose it but a lot of these guys have been around for a while enough that you would think that they can take what they learned this year or what they improved on this year and and carry it over themselves but it it is it is entirely a crapshoot Look, all I'm saying is that if, say, the Mets signed Odorizzi, I'd be terrified. That's like yeah. a 40 home run season waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. It's. Uh, I know the the other thing is is uh, that I know a lot of Twins fans talked about was was Barrios kind of having a breakout here this year too, and if he can step it up for a full year, that that definitely helps them not need another ace they can go and try and get you know the next generation of Gibson's Arderides and Pinedas on the bargain bin rather than signing some of these guys for top flight money so there's they have a lot of options to fill in what I see as the one gap in their their team the the, the one gap that you talk about is like an entire set it's not it's like an, one it's not yeah. a small gap it's it's a gaping <laughs> hole in the their gap roster is five roster spots yeah it, it really is it's important and, roster spots and right now it's the most expensive either trade asset or money wise to fill in baseball yeah you've got like 800 innings that need filling there and who's gonna fill them we don't know right now and that could that's probably what's going to determine how the twins do next season. Yeah. Yep. I, I think right. that about I think that about sums up the twins though. Yeah. So w- one thing that I really wanted to talk about this week, and I as soon as I saw this article, I was just uh, I, I was in our chat just pinging you immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, look at this. This is this is exactly the type of stuff. Also fits in with the twins too, really, because yeah, they do a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. So uh, we talked last week about an Eno Saris article, and this is another one. Honestly, I think. Every week, I could just pick an Eno Saris article and just talk for 45 minutes about it. But uh, I don't think no anyone wants to hear that. So we're just going to talk about it for like 10 minutes. Yeah. So this is the story of Charlie Morton and the story of pitch development 
and how Charlie Morton has kind of not exactly been at the forefront, but kind of following the forefront around, maybe unintentionally. He's bounced around between four organizations in the past eight years or so. And each one of these organizations have had a different philosophy or an evolving philosophy at that point in time that was kind of where the direction of pitching was going. And yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting that he's been able to follow the trend like that. So yeah. he, the, the start of this is when he was in Pittsburgh. Now, you remember Pittsburgh about eight, nine years ago when they just preached fastball usage. Yeah, Everyone had to throw fastballs. Everyone threw sinkers. Everyone threw in the zone. You, the, their philosophy was to limit walks, get ground balls, allow contact but not quality contact hard contact quality contact yeah so charlie morton fit in with that when he was with pittsburgh he threw a very hard sinker now if you looked at his pitch charts now you are not going to see many sinkers so that's where this is going to wind up but back then 2011 ish uh ray searage is the pitching coach for the pittsburgh pirates and he told Morton that in the video that he saw, Morton's arm angle looked off to him. Morton was throwing closer to uh, upright. And what it looked like was that he needed to be throwing three quarters. And he was told, throw further away from your body. Uh, The exact quote was, throw the way God intended you to throw. And Morton did. It completely changed the way his pitches moved. And it turned him into one of the most prolific ground ball pitchers in the league. So we have a very strong example there of kind of pitch modeling and how arm angle can change the way pitches move and how a minor adjustment such as a a delivery adjustment can really, really change the way a repertoire works. Yeah. So after that, he went to Philly. Why don't you talk about Philly a little bit? Yeah, so I remember watching him in Philly, and it was kind of this guy who they talked about, I think the first time the Nats faced him, they talked about how, oh, this is a sinker ball guy. He goes off of his sinker. Everything's off his sinker. And then I think he threw like 17 curveballs in the first three innings and just had the Nats completely off their game. And it was like what the actual heck changed from what they had scouted him as to, to this, and it was a completely different pitcher than the one I saw when they faced him, I think, the year prior in Pittsburgh. It was a completely different pitcher, and I think that's kind of the story of Charlie Morton's career is every t- place he goes, he kind of gets that extra knowledge and kind of, like, develops himself into a different pitcher every single time, and it's it's absolutely fascinating to watch and see where he is now versus where he was when he, you know, came up and was getting blown out in Pittsburgh. Right, so... What are what are some things that we kind of accept as truth now? Throw the thing that you're good at more. Yes. Throw your best pitch as your number one. It doesn't matter if it's a breaking ball or, or a fastball. So that has caught on more in the last year or two. That mm-hmm. was something that was preached to Charlie Morton by the Philly pitching coaches, uh, Rick Krantz and Bob McClure in 2016, ahead of the curve at the forefront. Another thing that we hold true now. Yeah. Um, high four seamers. 
And that is what Houston was having Charlie Morton do in 2017 and 18. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we basically accept as truth now is that when Houston wants you, the rest of the league should be should be should be curious. Like, oh, why why do they want this yeah. guy? And, and they were. And I remember in 17, they were part, they were on the forefront of the spin rate revolution in terms mm-hmm. of affecting fastball usage and getting better usage out of your fastball in a game where you don't want pitches in the zone. Yeah, so they identified Morton as a strong spin rate guy. They identified uh, McHugh, uh, who a uh, former Met, who actually was pretty promising as a Met, and uh, that that was a uh, he was he was one that got away for sure. But uh, Houston back then identified these guys with very strong spin rates and basically they molded them from there into better pitchers they mm-hmm. they took morton with his filthy breaking stuff and his incredibly hard fastball and they moved him away from sinkers they turned him into more of a curveball and the four seamer guy four seamers up curveballs down yep uh they they taught him more about pitch tunneling and a <laughs> I, I mentioned his very hard fastball before, his very hard four-seamer. A really interesting thing about Morton, and you may have heard this story before, when he pitched for Philly, he suddenly started throwing harder, just like out of nowhere. Yes. And he says that the reason why is just that he decided he wanted to throw harder one day. Yeah. So, which is just like, oh, it's that easy, right? Just, oh, yeah. I want to throw harder, so I'm going to throw harder. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. Like, really? You had that You had that the entire time? You just didn't think about it that? Really? Yeah. Imagine, imagine all these other idiot major leaguers not throwing harder just because they don't feel like it. Why, why don't you just throw harder? Obviously. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and now he's with the Rays. It's gotten even, it's gotten even crazier, too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we 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 actually saw this this year with uh, it was uh, Travis Darno that I'm thinking of, where as soon as the Mets let him go, the Dodgers picked him up, and then the Rays picked him up. Two of the most exemplary organizations right now. When Morton was available, the teams that were after him were the Astros and the Rays. You know, the Rays again, and then another great organization with the Astros. Yeah. When these are the teams that are that are fighting over you, they're you know you've got some skills and yep. T- Tampa Bay just kind of took what the Astros already created. And we basically, we've got a finished product now and now they're just tinkering. They're just, they're just kind of uh, playing with some other pitches. So he's already got his great fastball. He's already got his great curveball. So they started working on his harder breaking ball, his like kind of cutter, slider kind of pitch i've always called it like a a, a hard two seamer because it oh, really no, does break that way no we're talking breaking glove side oh so whoa wow yeah so and, and yeah you say wow because that's not a pitch he's known for yeah but this year he's throwing that pitch in the zone 20 percent more often than he used to it's actually become a strike getting pitch where it never was before so you just see like at Charlie Morton is 35. So what we've got here is a very old dog in baseball terms, learning new tricks yeah. every year. It's it's wild. And it really gets into the heart of, of pitching metrics and even saber metrics 
telling us so much more about the game than we already thought we knew and expanding upon it because he's really had four acts to this career now in a way that a lot of pitchers only normally get one or two and it's been fascinating to watch and I always enjoy watching him pitch even if it's against the Nats he's one of these guys who goes out there and is just he belongs on a mound he's just so comfortable out there throwing these pitches and stuff and you know you saw him back from the day when he was a sinker ball pitcher to where he was a curveball pitcher to, he, to Astros where he had all the spin rate on his four-seamer to now where it's that slider pitch and, and still the curveball doing the work for him. It's just fascinating that he's really, really, really been a four-act guy. Yeah, and we mentioned Pitching Ninja earlier. Uh, Morton is another mainstay on Pitching Ninja, and basically when the regular season is happening, you can't go five days without seeing a Morton curveball either break into the pit, break into the strike zone just barely and get a called strike three or bounce in the dirt five feet before home plate and get, you know, a swinging strike on that. Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely crazy to me. It, it, it's so fun to watch. I saw the, what was the one, was he the one from Tampa where he like threw it at guys, the guy's head level and it broke into the zone? Uh, the guy like completely turned away and then he was like, looked down and was like, wait, what? <laughs> That's just like Tuesday for him. That's just the yeah. that's just the pitch he throws. Yeah, exactly. It is. It's it's probably more. And I love I, lo- I love the guy. He's a great pitcher. And uh, you know, I was really really surprised when he went to Tampa last year in free agency. He had a lot of different options. A lot of teams wanted him, but kind of chose to have another another act in his career and add even better weapons to his arsenal going forward. I I appreciate that kind of self awareness. It's like he knows where his bread is buttered. He knows like the analytics teams are where okay. it's at. Okay, let's be real. It's even simpler than that. You and I are both just glad he didn't go to Philly. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's it's weird, man. It's great. It's great to watch, though. A team, um, that, I, a team that might have signed him and I could have seen signing him, the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, the Oakland Athletics were in the news for probably the weirdest thing ever uh, this week. The, the county in which the stadium is located... Um, has tr- oh, Al- Oakland Alameda County. I knew Oakland was in it. I just knew Oakland Alameda County. Um, they co-own where the Coliseum is, which is about 30 city blocks uh, with the actual city of Oakland itself. Both shares 50-50, worth about $85 million. The county wants to sell it to the A's so that the A's can privately fund their new stadium on the other end of the site from where the Coliseum is. The city is now suing them under the Surplus Land Act, which claims that publicly owned land must first be used for parks, recreational um, outlets, and affordable housing purposes before it can be sold to a private entity, and are suing them and blocking the A's from doing it. And the last wrinkle was added by um, who I will affectionately refer to as Commissioner Dipshit until the end of time, Manfred, um, has now threatened to move the second team from Oakland to Vegas. <laughs> I would hate to hear non-affectionate. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, This is one of these things that's really... It just seems unnecessary. It seems like there's a way to get through this without going to court. There is a way to, to get an equitable deal, to get Oakland the public land on the other end of the Coliseum lot, let them build their stadium that they have designed, and I don't know if you've seen the pictures of it. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have this joint, you know, retail, real estate, condos, towers around it that are now popular in the United States. Around like the, it, uh, Brooklyn is what I'm thinking of when I think of uh, that kind of setup. 
with like the retail stores at the bottom and then a couple floors of office spaces the yep. buffer and then yep, yep. and then condos above yeah absolutely and it looks Barclay center that's it yeah exactly and it looks very very good and you're you're blocking that and a lot of it seems to be coming from the fact that oakland if the a's do get this half of it and do privately fund the stadium will not get a cut of venue fees for things that are not baseball games and so it just seems like all three sides need to sit down at a table and hash this out rather than going to court over it it's 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 very very weird um i don't like i don't like using relocation as as leverage i think it's unnecessary it pisses the fans off it's so bad and yeah i i do love how the american justice system works sometimes where it's like all right, Oakland, the city of Oakland is blocking this. And literally everybody is like, oh, it's because of money. And then the city of Oakland is like, oh, yeah, we want parks built there. Yeah, right. Okay, Oakland. Okay. Sure. That's exactly why you want the lot. You want to get 100% of the lot so that you can sell it to a private developer and get 100% of the money and screw Oakland out of stadium. Hate yeah, actually, actually, do hate to see it. You do actually hate to see it. I don't want to see the A's leave Oakland. What else do they have right now? The Raiders are gone. Speaking of the Raiders, why is why was this particularly newsworthy? What did Manfred do? He he threatened to move them to the exact same city where the Oakland Raiders just moved, where they would be playing in the same stadium as the Oakland Raiders again. Which I, that that is a that is a heavy threat right now because it is the, city, the yeah. city of oakland is already stinging from that happening literally just now yeah and you know the really really funny part about it about this to me is the city absolutely is seeing right through it the, the quote from the um la uh, lj jennings who's a pastor of a local church and also the head of the bay area community benefits organization who would get part of land to build recreational facilities said, for them to come in here and lay down this gauntlet, so to speak, or to threaten to put the atmosphere of the A's leaving Oakland, it's all muscle and it's part scare tactics. They're seeing right through this. It didn't work. Yeah, and uh, they, uh, what was, there, there was another quote. Oh, obviously he chose his city wisely as far as exposing a pain point that all Oaklanders feel about losing our sports teams. Yeah. It's calculated. Absolutely. And and I gotta say, and I gotta say this, and this is tangential to the point about Manfred, kind of, in in a roundabout way. When Manfred was elected commissioner in the second to last ballot, he was down for he was he only had fourteen votes. You need sixteen to become an MLB commissioner. You can't get fifteen, you can't get sixteen. They needed two swing votes. He got two of those swing votes in Oakland and Washington. He promised Oakland to resolve the stadium and keep the team there, and he resolved to get the Nationals the Masson rights resolution. We are now four years into his tenure, basically. He officially started, I think, in 16, elected in 15. Has now absolutely failed on both, as in, by the way, the Nationals still haven't gotten paid. They were supposed to get paid nine days ago. Still haven't gotten paid from the court settlement they won against the Orioles. And now, instead of... And now, yeah, exactly. And and now, instead of getting Oakland Stadium situation is resolved like he promised to do, is now threatening to move them instead. This is an absolutely failed tenure for a commissioner in baseball at absolutely the wrong time. 
the bar for being a, a, like just a, a non awful commissioner is so low and, and you can't no even one, clear it no one ever no one clears it in any sport really i mean ceiling kind of did at the end when he got rid of the world series determining home field advantage or, or the all-star, all-star game, game. determining yeah. determining world series home field advantage you know so th- so there was that but but like outside of that it's like uh, uh. i mean that that's like that's like trump kissing one baby when he's done it's yeah, like, exactly. What about everything that came before, guys? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's it's so it's so weird because it's like you have all these things. You know, you could have not forced all these changes into baseball without the players' association approval and pissed them off. You could have helped Oakland try to get the stadium resolved amicably instead of threatening to relocate them. You know, you could have actually done your job between Baltimore teams. Never done any of these things, and for him to go in and threaten relocation rather than actually helping them get a stadium deal is just a micro event in this this terrible commissionership that we're currently enduring that's going to end with a striker lockout <laughs> and, uh, a particularly upsetting part of all of this is a quality team is playing in a shithole yes year after year yes where they literally have to delay starts of games because of sewage flooding into the dugouts regularly What's- I'm I'm pretty sure there have been points where the stadium was quite literally crumbling in parts. Yeah, they had, I've seen I've seen Oakland A's fans post photos of like concrete that has fallen down during games. It's sad because it is. It's a it's terrible. It's a good city with some great sports fans, yes. and the people who run the city just cannot get their stuff together enough to you know put these guys in a venue that they deserve. Yeah. It's, Money it's, is great. It's it's it it breaks my it breaks my heart to think that the A's might actually leave Oakland, especially after what they went through with the Raiders. So completely unrelated. Absolutely and unrelated. Complete no, uh, really unrelated. Uh, uh, usually when I say completely unrelated, I mean it's related, but this actually isn't. Before we go and move on to fake baseball, like we yes. like to do towards the end of these things. Yes. If you had to choose where the Oakland A's moved, where would you want them to go? Portland. Yeah? Portland. I say Montreal. It's a good one. I I don't know if they deserve another franchise until they actually put the deposit down on building the new stadium. Oh, yeah. I mean, things would have to happen for the team to move anywhere. Yeah. This this is this is like this is purely wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the the top spots like anytime you hear about a relocation, the the places that are always brought up are like Montreal, Portland, yeah, maybe like what the the Carolinas, maybe. Uh, we I can do a whole podcast by myself on why the Carolinas would never work for my professional baseball, but that's a whole other story. Um, that sounds you, like a future topic. The main the main city that they would put them in is Charlotte. There are thirteen minor league baseball teams within a hundred miles that would have their attendance tank because of a minor league team, major league team. And that doesn't even take into account that you would affect the Nationals and the Braves TV areas that already are being squeezed by their providers that pay them. So, oh, they're, oh no, core core Nationals and Braves exactly huh? right. Yeah, um, uh, three I teams. Like, I like that idea even more now. Three teams have filed paperwork. Actually, four cities have filed paperwork for uh, the expansion franchises if they go to thirty-two: um, Portland, New Orleans, Charlotte, and Montreal. Um, Nashville is tangentially interested. 
New Orleans um, would be interesting. New Orleans would be great. They 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 have supported their minor league teams very well. Their their major league teams, it's been iffy outside of the Saints. Yeah, uh, but when's the last time? Say the uh, the who who the Pelicans? When was the last time the Pelicans were good? They were like yeah. kind of good this past year, but yeah, I mean, they they come out to watch good teams. Yep, there's only do. one. Yeah, they would they would need a they would need a good draft a uh, good draft of players off other people's rosters in order to get them interested like the golden knights did but yeah <laughs> i'd actually be i i would be very oh man i you know that never even occurred to me i would be so so interested in seeing an expansion team with analytically minded people do a draft that would be very interesting yeah i would it would blow my mind who they would i would love to, to see that I, it's gonna happen we're gonna go to 32 teams it's just a matter of when now well, that that will be fun when it happens. It will be. I I'm gonna be so interested in those expansion um, unless we just get two more Marlins, and then it's just gonna be very sad. Ooh. And I'm sure they'll both be in the American League, and the Yankees will win 130 games. Yeah. But um. Who's bitter? Yeah, no one's bitter. I don't think, right? No one. Never. Not Jared Kalinick level bitter yet. There it is. Point Riot. Let's go. After you taking it away from me last week, I had to come back with a big one. <laughs> uh, moving on to fake baseball, though. Love the fake baseball. I love the fake baseball. The, uh, we're getting three, four batches of finest cards. They didn't kind of say. Um, so, well, there's 47, and yeah. they dropped, like, what was it, 11, I want to say? 11, yeah. Yeah, so that makes sense. Um, they say we're not getting all of them from packs uh, like we did this first batch, so that is something to keep an eye on. But mm-hmm. we did get a uh, 96 overall Bo Bichette from the Blue Jays. I'm just going to go through the highlights here. Um, a 95 Brian Anderson and a 95 Shohei Otani. Those are kind of so, like the highlights for me of this. The fans did not vote for Kevin Pillar for the Giants. Yeah. You cowards. I voted, my for, fi- I voted for Yaz. I voted for <laughs> where, Yaz. Sorry. Where is my finest Pilar? I don't know. Somewhere in you the trash heap of monsters. failed card this designs. Is... You know it. You know they put that on the trash pile. Like, yeah, never mind. Um, <laughs> 98 overall they, they Matt had, Chapman. The, they the, had the, their finest Pilar design, and he's like 10 points lower than the rest of them. He's like, oh, right. yeah, that's why. We he's, a 90, he's a 92 <laughs> overall, and you're just like, wait a minute. Why is this finest Polaris silver? Never mind. So, so we got 98 Matt Chapman. We got 98 Raphael Devers. And then 97 Bryce Harper SR. Three rare cards. Man. All right. Okay. I know. I know. So what to you, to your completely... Is the worst un- pushed one? No, no. Oh. To, to your completely unbiased view, what's more egregious, a 94 Yastrzemski or a 97 Harper? I honestly would have flipped their ratings. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I, I actually do believe... Well, you could do that with a lot of cards, actually, to be honest with you. Um, you probably could have had Trey Mancini in that 97 overall slot instead. Probably could have had Yaz there. Maybe even Otani with how well he batted coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, they would have, they, to, to get Mancini up there, they would have had to juice the defense so much. Yeah, that's Thank true. You. They gave Mancini center field eligibility. Oh my god, did they? Now he can defend poorly in five spots. It's crazy. Um you 
he has reverse splits, which is weird. The Harper card has reverse Harper, splits. Yeah. Really weird because every previous MLB yeah. the show Bryce Harper card has been a righty masher. He did have reverse splits this year, which is interesting to note. Makes sense, and it's nice that they're paying attention. Um, he he had over ten uh steals for the first time in like three years, so he got the speed yeah. and stealing bump back up closer to his 2015 guard, which I thought was good. Um, I hate that they had to boost his discipline and clutch so much in order to get it to 97 because he did strike out more than almost any other season in his career this year. And outside well, of... strikeouts are vision. Uh, they are vision? I thought they were yeah. discipline. Discipline is walks, so that makes oh, sense. Okay. Yeah, okay, never mind then, yeah. Well, he was down on walks this year, too. Um, I, 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 I think it's... It is... When I first saw it, I was like, this is egregiously pushed in the wrong places. But there are a couple ones that are actually, actually worse. Um... And then the collection result. More to come. More to come. The most pushed card, um, egregiously pushed card, was the 99 overall Kirby Yates. What? You know what? Like, I thought you were going to say Matt Boyd, because literally no one cares about that card, and it's, it's you know, it's just No one cares about out. that. Why am I going to say it's pushed? Because, have, have you looked at Kirby Yates numbers this year? They're good, but they're not 99 overall good. Are, aren't they? Eh, maybe. Hey, uh, you talk for like wait, 30. Wait, sorry. Minutes. Wait, sorry. Kelly Jansen got a 99 overall six series. Never mind. We're good. Kirby Yates. Now, hang on. I'm, I'm going here. I'm I'm pulling this up on Fangrass right now. Kirby Yates had a 1.19 RA, 1.3 FIP. He had a 12.86 K rate. He didn't give He He had fewer than a home run per nine. He was amazing. He like, all right. So, if you view 99 as best of all time, which it mostly is, then yeah, he didn't reach that. But he's pretty clearly the best reliever in baseball this year. So yeah. if we're taught, if if your finest scale is 93 to 99, best reliever in baseball gets a 99. It's and there's 94, my face. It's 94 to 99. Sure. Um, this is getting Same a point. This is getting into something that we're going to talk about in the offseason because we won't have anything else to talk about for two months because the free agency market's going to be terrible again. Um, I think that they need to go the way of other that other games have had and do their end-game cards as 100s. Like uh, OOTP? Yeah, like OOTP. Yeah, I wonder if, like... 2018's Immortals and 2019's Six Series could have just been another tier. Yeah, some of them could have been, or, or even, I don't know. I, I I'm gonna write down a lot of thoughts, and we're gonna have in depth discussions with other people too. To be fair, uh, about 2020 and, and what they need to do. And, and one of my things is I think they need another tier, and I think they need to look at how they scale cards. Um, did I love Six Series? And I love a lot of them. Yes. Were some of them egregiously pushed? Yes. Did they need to be? No, because the SIG series, they said at the beginning of the year, we're going to be the best version of that card available. That doesn't mean they need to be pushed above that. Their best year. If the best available, Aubrey Huff, is an 83, he should be an 83. It should be an 83. Garrett uh, Garrett Anderson for the, the Angels would have been fine as a 92 or a 93 because he did have that one really, really good year. Or there's two really, really good years back-to-back, -back, kind of. He's no Tim Salmon. 90, 90, 92, 93 overall. Fine. Perfect. Slap a SIG series on it. And they Adam screwed Jones themselves. Diamond defense. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and they kind of screwed themselves over on some cards because can you have a better than a 93 Ichiro? No. So Ichiro didn't get a six series this year. He could hit so many more home runs if he wanted to. He could. I actually, I actually think he could. Is that the scary part, though? I actually think he could have. Everyone does. Everyone does. But you know what? Wilt Chamberlain thought he could have the most assists in the league if he wanted to, so he did it. Why didn't Ichiro ever feel like hitting more than three home runs in a season? Because he's Ichiro and he liked hitting singles because walks are eyewash. (laughs) Boom. Got you again. Ichiro is no traits, Turner. Yeah, exactly. Right. I I will say I will say this before we wrap this up, though. I do love the art on them. One of my, oh my god, yeah. One of my biggest complaints, and again, we're gonna get more in depth with this, was the fact that all the six series cards looked the same. The finest all looked the same, but they also if incorporated the team colors more, and I think it's something they need to do more in the future too. It's funny uh, that the six series problem is that they were just pure white when the issue with the players weekend uniforms this year was that half of them were all white half of them were all black that uniformity it gets boring after a while it does and the fact that they besides the color border on the bottom there was no color in them i think if they incorporate the logo and the team colors more it's it's better and i think especially in the especially in the really old cards yeah very little color on those oh yeah although before jackie robinson very little color on those cards hey Bad joke is bad. I don't know. I don't ju- know. I'm, I'm deciding. Judges? It was good. It was good. I liked okay. it. It was good. Okay. Okay. I'm we the did. judge. I liked it. Okay. Okay. You get a you get a pass on that one. Um, yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of them. I'm looking forward to see the rest of the locks, which are going to be 98, 99s. So should be interesting. Where's my Jeff McNeil? Right. You think you think he's going to be the Mets one? And Alonso's uh, the I- lock. I actually, I don't know if Alonso will get one. Well, you know what? There have been enough like. Was he on the fan vote cards. for the Mets? No. Nope. So he's probably going to get a lock then. Yeah. Uh, the, Are the you first, ready for a 99 Pete Alonso? Well, the first base lock could be a couple of guys. It could be Freeman yeah. too. That's true. That's true. Although they could seriously actually probably do like a 97 Sig Series Freeman. So maybe that's how they get around it. I don't know. Yeah. But there's but, no uh, more headliners packs to put them in. So that's whole other debate i alonso's alonso's already got that home run derby card yeah exactly i'm just i'm just happy with that we're getting content this late in the season and so good. good content this late in the season the finest is actually i i had a little bit of a, like a week-long lull in the game where i didn't really play but uh finest is dragging me back a little bit yeah and me and the other thing is too with it is you know it's not ridiculous to collect all the cards it's like you get seven you get the 99 overall kirby eight so you don't even need to buy the high tier guys to get the reward cards from the program it seems like so that's gonna be cool yeah i'm I'm looking forward to throwing some splitters with that kirby eights and his like 125k per nine or whatever yeah, it is. that that team no money spent they gave him a good option to building out finest this year which i think is an improvement over last year mm-hmm. oh um, by the way yes devers rafael devers devers whatever getting a gold defensive card Wow. Yeah, seriously. What? That is that is some defensive juicing. Yup. Pretty sure in the past couple of years at points he has been one of, if not the worst defenders in the league. Yeah, well, you gotta push something sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, Devers, right, so, Devers was definitely more pushed. Than so, guys. let's wrap up the fake cards and move and on talk to talk about real, real cards. Breaking Company is back and it is my favorite time of the year. Uh, if you guys are watching, listening to this in the first 24 hours, it's not too late. 
Um, this is released on October 9th, so if you're hearing this before 8 p.m. on October 10th, you're still good. Um, it is Bowman Chrome Night over at Breaking Company. If you want the rookie cards from this year, which include Pete Alonzo, Tatis, um, Aloy Jimenez, um, a bunch of really good ones, uh, get in. This is the best product of the year. Bowman Chrome is the high-end Bowman uh, product Tops does at the end of the year. And also has some first Tops Chrome cards too, which means it is now your 2019 draft picks prospects card season too coming soon. Uh, I think Leaf Ultimate Draft 2019 is, is coming out in the fall very, very soon. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is two reasons. One, get in the breaks. They're very, very fun. And when you get a hit, it's amazing. Um, and secondarily, it's a good way to get to know like your prospects, too, and to collect their cards and collect them. And as a third side point, there is now this thing called investment card collecting, which I think more people need to be interested in because it is very, very fascinating, where you do buy cards and buy them on speculation that the player is going to be really, really good and, and take off. Um, you saw people do it with Otani. You saw people do it with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And a lot of it is because of Mike Trout. <laughs> they underprinted his rookie cards so much that even base cards are like $25. <laughs> it's insane. And this is the season to get into it because this is when all of the first prospect cards are going to come out. The car the tops cards they signed the day after they signed with the team, these are the cards that are coming out now. And they're fun and they're awesome, and you can go to thebreakingcompany.com and get in on them. I know you want that Alonzo rookie card. I would give up body parts for that. I know you would. You can. They have two breaks. They still have a buy one, get one, so you buy a team and get a second team free. Crazy deal. And they also have a, I think it's $43 you can get in for a three-team draft of a four-box hobby box Bowman Chrome draft. So you get four boxes, so 12 autos and relics. Um, and you get to draft three teams and hopefully hit some pretty good bangers in there too. And always a good time to hang out with that community. So glad they're back and glad they're back doing breaks. Yep. I think I said everything I wanted to say. You good? Are there any like are there any like game used uh, polar bear fur cards for Alonso? I don't know actually. I would have to look into that. Uh, I just got a gross mental image of like shaving Alonso's back and putting it in a card. Ugh. Um, I know, that? I know, I know he's gonna be in leather and lumber, so you can probably get batting gloves relics cards of his in the fall, probably in November. If you're really interested. <laughs> I hope leather not and lumber in. is not. I hope leather and lumber is less weird than it sounds. It it's it's basically bat relics and like glove relics and like jersey. It's a lot of relic cards. It's like Pete Pete Alonso and his one really large tool and and leather. <laughs> On that bombshell. You're welcome. On that bombshell. Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm done after that. <laughs> that broke me, but. but but before we go, we always want to thank our patrons. So thank you, Chris, Jaron, and Murph, for your continued support of this podcast. You guys can get down on anchor.fm, the show of baseball podcast. And from there, you can go to all of your favorite podcasting sites, from iTunes to Breaker to Stitcher to Spotify, and listen to us there. So thank you. For Schwebzy, this is Rai Rai signing off. Until next episode, goodbye.